Thank you, sir. It's amazing we have this incredible church full of talented people, amen? We have a great church full of talented people. Okay, as we pray for the offering this morning, let's remember that we have lots of things going on. Um, there's a picture in the back of the, of, the, of the foyer out there of what the church windows could look like. If you came in, you saw there's a, a large picture of a proposed change to the outside of, of the building. Part of what you give here today goes into a fund that will make that possible. And what it will do is it will tell the whole world that this is the home of three churches. This is the home of the revolution on Wednesdays and Saturdays. It's the home of GGCF on Tuesdays and on Sundays. It's the home of the Russian RTP church every other Sunday. And it's going to have our names. It's going to have our service times. It's going to have the symbols of our church. It's going to say to the world, this is a place where God is honored and no matter where you come from in the world, you can find a home here in this place with one of these three congregations. Because we're not concerned about building a large church. I don't want to be a mega church pastor. I don't want to be Rick Warren or Bill Hybels or one of those guys. That's not what God called me to do. He called me to preach the gospel. That's what he called Pastor Mike to do at the Revolution and Pastor Michael, Michael at, the, um, at the Russian church. Their job is to preach the gospel and just let people know about Jesus. So as you give, know that we are going to put that to good use to share the gospel with those around this area. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning and we'll jump into the message. Lord God, thank you. Father, you are so good to us. You have blessed us this week with health. Father, you blessed uh, Brother Bach and Sister Mullen with a beautiful baby boy. And now, Father God, this, the, the, the expectation has been answered. Father, we have other babies that are on the way. And Father, we look forward to them as well, Lord, because each one is a blessing from you. Each child is a gift. Father God, there are so many in the world that don't even recognize that a baby is a person. Father God, they think that a baby is an inconvenience to be done away with. But God, we know that every life is precious because it comes from you and it returns to you. Father God, help us to use these gifts and offerings wisely. Help us to use them to spread the gospel, to share with others the power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace. Father God, bless those who are still on the way because they got held up. Lord, help them to be here quickly. And Father God, help this church fulfill its great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Lord, because we know that you're coming back soon. And Father, we, we at GGCF want to be found faithful working in the fields until the time that you arrive. So Lord, help us to do that today through this word and through all that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We, of course, are still in the book of Hebrews. And I said last week we're coming up on Easter. So you guys need to know there's going to be some special events here for Easter. So we're working on some of those right now, and, and there could be some exciting things for the kids. Easter Sunday, you want to be here. You know why? We're not, we're not just going to have the worship team. We're going to have a special worship team. About that short. The children are going to come and sing for us. And they got a special song for Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's good that we want to be here to support our children as they learn to use their gifts and talents to praise the Lord. Amen? Okay, and I want you guys to, to consider this too. This is the best, one of the best days of the year to invite our friends. Invite our neighbors. Invite the people around us and say, you know what? Why don't you come and celebrate Jesus with me? Come and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord because Paul says without the resurrection, then the Christian faith is useless. It's meaningless. Paul said we're fools if there's no resurrection. And guess what, people? 
we're not fools. Amen? Amen. All right. So today I want to talk about an odd concept. I was listening in the, in, the, uh, in the news this week, and you know I pay attention to a lot of the political stuff going on out there as it involves the church. And I heard some wonderful uh, woman activist, and she was talking about how Easter was offensive. And, and I thought, wait a minute, she finds Easter offensive? She says, yeah, why do we have to have an Easter that is so bloody? And I'm thinking, what, what? She says, what's all this talk about blood and, and crosses? And, you know, in the, in the Philippines, you have all the passion plays, people crucifying themselves. And all throughout the world, there's a recreation of, of the Jesus event. In fact, um, I know that there's that film, The Passion of the Christ, that Mel Gibson did. And it's extremely bloody, very graphic, and a lot of people objected to it because they said, can't we have a bloodless Easter? And man... If you want to make a pastor angry, ask that question. Can't we have Easter without blood? Let's look at it today. A bloodless Easter. See, to me, that's kind of like you know, a hollow chocolate bunny. Look at this thing. This, to me, is offensive. I told you last week, when I was a kid, chocolate Easter bunnies were solid. And they were yummy. And they lasted for a month. Now, these things fall apart. You look in there, there's nothing. There's not even like squishy nougat stuff coming out. It's just hollow. It's like, it's an offense. But in a lot of churches around America today, and a lot of churches in our world, people want a bloodless Easter. They want to celebrate life, celebrate spring, celebrate a renewal of the seasons, very much like a lot of, of witch covens do. They celebrate the coming of spring but they want to do it without the blood of Jesus Christ, without the purpose behind it. Let's look at it today. We're in Hebrews chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open it up. If you have your digital Bible, turn it on. If you have your cell phone, switch off the phone part, but turn on the Bible part. Hebrews chapter 9. You know, I thought I was going to have to change my sermon series coming up on Easter. I looked ahead to where we're going to be on Easter Sunday. God is good, people. Because the sermon for Easter Sunday out of Hebrews is perfect for Easter, Easter sunrise morning. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 11 through 14 is where we're going to start today. Easter requires a perfect sacrifice. Easter requires a perfect sacrifice. You know, whatever Easter conjures up in your imagination, whatever images it conjures up, whether you're born in the Philippines or here, we have these pictures. Push it out of your mind, and let's concentrate on the Word of God. But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come. Notice that? The good things have already come when the author of Hebrews is writing. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who were defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Just looking at those verses right there, can you have a bloodless Easter? No. Why? Because you cannot have a bloodless 
sacrifice. We all know that this is tied very closely to the Passover. The Passover was the deliverance of the people of Israel from their Egyptian captivity. Uh, do you know, by the way, that many, many people in Egypt claim that Israel was never there? I thought that was interesting. Many people in Egypt claim Israel was never captive in Egypt. That they were never there, they were never part of the culture, they're not part of the history. Yet interestingly, a few years ago, an Egyptian company tried to sue Israel for all the money that they took out of Egypt when they left. I think it's interesting that the government says it didn't happen, they were never here. Yet some people within Egypt said, no, no, they were here, and they took our gold, and we want it back. They tried to sue them for all the money back that they took out. Of course, nothing ever came of it, but it shows that contradiction that goes in there. What does it mean to require a perfect sacrifice? It says the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have already come, in Jesus, of course, and in the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. We know what the tabernacle was. It was that building in the wilderness which they first began to meet, where they first began to offer sacrifices because they had the Ark of the Covenant there as the uh, place where God met them. What do you guys know about the Ark of the Covenant? Why was it so important to the people of Israel? The Ark of the Covenant held what? It held the rod of Aaron, it held the bowl of manna, and it held the second set of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments were destroyed when Moses came down and saw the sin of the people, right? Everyone shake your head, yes. I want to know you're listening to me. Okay, so God had to give them a second set of the Ten Commandments at a later time. That's one thing most people don't remember. The set of Ten Commandments in there is not the original set, it's the second set. Now, why was it so important? Because on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the Bema seat. It was the golden lid. In the middle was a seat where God would dwell between what? Between the two golden cherubim. Now, we know in the book of Ezekiel, there are four cherubim that hold up the throne room of heaven, in imagery, of course. And so there's these two cherubim, and between the cherubim is the beam of seat where the Spirit of God would dwell to deal mercy to the people, right? Now, we know that the Ark of the Covenant was gone before the time of Jesus, right? How do we know that? Never just say yes, but know why. What happened when the Babylonians came to take Israel into captivity for those 70 years? They destroyed the temple, right? Yes? Remember, they took all of the golden artifacts, the candlesticks, they took all the serving plates, everything of value they took out and they put it in the vaults of Nebuchadnezzar. What's the one thing never listed in the Bible as being in the possession of Nebuchadnezzar? The Ark of the Covenant. Remember, every foreign power, only one tried it. When the, when the, when the Philistines tried to take hold of it, remember what happened? Plagues, boils, tumors appeared on their bodies until they gave it back. That's when David brings it back in, he dances before the Ark. You never see a mention of the Ark of the Covenant after the time of the destruction of the temple because the Babylonians didn't take it. So where was it? It was gone. It was, according to the book... Well, according to the intertestamental books, it was hidden under the Temple Mount in Jeremiah's Grotto. That's where the rabbis in Israel believe it is today. They believe it's going to be brought out in the last days to resume temple service. Yet this is interesting. If 
that beam of seed, if that place of mercy, the Ark of the Covenant, is so important, what was happening all those years after Israel came back? Where were they making the sacrifice of blood? It was supposed to be made onto the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest was supposed to go in before the Ark of the Covenant and make the sacrifice. If the Ark of the Covenant's not there, what were they doing? Absolutely nothing is what they were doing. They were going through a vain ritual because the centerpiece of everything they were doing was gone. Ask yourself this question. When you came to church today, why'd you come? Did you come to church to see your friends? Did you come to church to eat a good lunch? Did you come to church because it's your habit to go? Or your mom made you get out of bed and made you go? Your wife pulled you by the ear and said, honey, get up. Why'd you come to church today? You see, if you came here to encounter God, then that's what you're going to get. If you came to go through a ritual, that's what you're going to get. If you came here to, chick, to uh, put a little tick next to your spiritual duties, that's all you're going to get today, is that little check on the paper. Because you see, when they came to the rebuilt temple and there was no Ark of the Covenant, nothing was happening in there. This says, Jesus has not entered a remade tabernacle made with hands. He's entered the tabernacle of his own flesh. And he's not brought the sacrifice of goats and calves. He's brought his own blood, a better, more permanent sacrifice. Jeremiah 13, well, Jeremiah 3.16 says this, the time of the Messiah, men will not even ask to find the Ark of the Covenant, nor will they seek it. Now check this out, church. Jeremiah says, in the time of the Messiah, they will not seek it or remake it. Is it possible that the Ark of the Covenant was destroyed? It says they will not remake this thing that was the center of Israelite worship. It wasn't there after the days of Babylon, so they got used to not having it. Now in the days of the Messiah, why don't we want to find the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, Indiana Jones went to a lot of trouble to find the Ark of the Covenant. And he had to fight the Nazis for it, right? That's a good historical fact, right? Indiana Jones fought the Nazis, got the Ark, and it's, it's in Washington somewhere. Did you guys watch the movie? Here's the thing. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant. They say, well, shouldn't we find it and bring it out? Won't it be proof that God is God? If you put the Ark of the Covenant before people, would they believe in God? No. If they believe in God now, they'll believe it then. If they don't believe now, they won't believe then. They'll say it's a box. They'll say it's just an old box covered with gold. Why? Where does the Holy Spirit dwell now? Does he dwell between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant? Where does the Holy Spirit dwell, church? You need to know this. In you. He dwells in the believer. There's no more need for an Ark of the Covenant. For that fact, there's no need for a temple. God established a temple in the city of David that he might have a place to meet his people. But he's already met us in a better sanctuary through a better sacrifice. You see, without the blood of Jesus, we would still be like the Jews going through vain ritual. How many people go to church every Sunday? Now, this is coming from Michigan. This is what I saw. I saw little old grandmas going to church every single day to do the rosary every son every not sorry every day period going to the mass every day to do the rosary or the chaplet of the divine mercy 
or any other prayer you want to go through in the Catholic Church. Why were they doing that? When the Bible says, don't be like the Pharisees who think they will be heard for their much repetition of prayer. God doesn't hear you because you pray a prayer 500 times. He heard you the first time. Amen? That is freedom. The other is bondage. It's religion. It's captivity. The freedom is knowing God knows your needs before you ask it, but he desires that you be humble enough to ask for it. See, that's why you cannot have this imperfect Easter. If Easter is just about new clothes and a new hat and giving baskets to our children, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a horrible parent. My sister used to give an Easter basket to Nicole when she was a little girl. We never have bothered. I mean, I know I'm evil. It's not like the kid doesn't get chocolate all year round anyways, you know? I didn't see the need in giving her something that was a false Ark of the Covenant. I didn't want her to look forward to Easter because it was about a fluffy bunny or a duck for that, for that matter, or chocolate or Easter or, or jelly beans, you know? We have that junk in our house all year round anyways. I wanted Easter to be about Jesus. And you can't have Jesus if you don't have blood. You can't clean it up and sanitize it. I like this. He says, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Remember that thing we talked about a few weeks ago? Once you are saved, you are always saved because the redemption of Jesus is permanent. It's eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who were defiled, sanctified for the purification of the flesh. Wow, that's a long sentence. Basically, it's this. You sin. The law says you had to take a sacrifice. The sacrifice was made. Your sin was temporarily covered until your next sin. In Jesus, the blood removes your sin. If you don't have the blood of Jesus on that cross, you don't have eternal redemption. You have a temporary fix. It'd be like having a boat in the middle of a lake having a giant leak in the bottom and sticking a Band-Aid over it. As soon as the Band-Aid gets wet, it's not going to hold anything. That's what religion is. Religion is a Band-Aid on a leaky boat. You're going to sink because you can't do enough to plug the hole. Jesus fixed the hole. He took away the hole. It's gone. It's solid now. You have a solid place to live. See, it's interesting. 1 Corinthians 3.16. You love how 3.16 works in the Bible? You have John 3.16, and you have Jeremiah 3.16, you know, the Messiah. They'll not even ask for the ark. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says the temple of God is within us. Do you recognize that you don't have to be in this building to be in the presence of God Almighty? So why come here? Why do we come together in church on Sunday? Because then we can remind each other of the sacrifice of Jesus. We can build each other up. We can strengthen each other. Also, we can correct each other. It's very possible living in this world, in this day and age, for you to get the wrong idea about something. You hear some preacher over here, some teacher over there, you read something on the internet, and you get off track. But by coming into a place where we all submit to the same authority, which is the Word of God, we can pull each other back into that straight and narrow way. But we don't need a building where we go to get sanctified. The sanctification is within us. It's inside of us. That means when you go to work, you are a walking temple. You bring Jesus with you to minister to those who are around you. 
You have in your body, in your flesh at all times, what you need to tell people about Jesus. You don't need a Bible. You don't need a witnessing track. You don't need a witnessing cube. Those are great things. Those are great devices. But you have the testimony of how you were saved. Do you know how you were saved? Do you know? Do you remember the day when you were convicted of your sin? That testimony lives in you. By the way, anybody, if you don't know when you got saved, please come talk to me today. Let's go have lunch. We'll, we'll leave the building. We'll go have lunch. I'll buy you a hamburger. I had a person tell me once. I said, so when did you get saved? He said, I've always been saved. I said, what? He said, I was born into a Christian family. I've always been a Christian. And I said, we got to talk. Because here's the thing. He grew up in church. He grew up in Sunday school. He grew up under the teaching of a pastor. But he never himself asked God to save him. Here's the thing. If you are standing before a judge and the judge is going to pass sentence on you for what you did, you did it, there's no doubt, you did it. If you're standing there and he's going to pronounce you guilty and death is the sentence and you don't ask him to forgive you, what's going to happen to you? They're going to take you out and shoot you because you are guilty. And just because you go to church or your parents are Christians doesn't mean you are saved. Until you feel the conviction of your own sin, until you know that you have fallen short of God's standard, and until you know that you have to personally go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, you are not saved. That is the harshest thing any pastor can ever say. Until you come to Jesus, you ain't saved. And if you don't know what that means, I beg you, I will buy you a hamburger. Let's leave here today. Let's not even stay for this lunch. I will take you out and we will talk about the Word of God. Because it's critical that you understand without the blood of Jesus on your heart, you die eternally. Remember, the angel of death came through Egypt. The angel of death came through and every home that was not marked with blood, the firstborn died. Do you realize that if a Jew living in Egypt had a firstborn. And if they said, you know what, I don't need to put blood on my door. I'm a son of Abraham. What would happen to his firstborn? He would die. Do you know why? No blood on the door. Even if you're born of a Christian family, even if your daddy was a pastor, if you've never come to Christ and the blood hasn't been applied, you aren't saved and you will never see heaven. That's a biblical fact, and it's a terrible fact. So I'll tell you, be sure the blood's been applied. Let's go on. Hebrews 9, 15 through 22. Not only does Easter require a perfect sacrifice, a perfect spotless lamb, not only does it require Jesus, it requires shed blood. This is what we've been talking about. Verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator. That's a picture of a lawyer, one who stands in the court to argue off your death sentence. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of, here it goes, eternal inheritance. You guys getting the picture that this salvation thing is not temporary? That it's there and it lasts and it's, it's binding? Because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Meaning, Jesus died. Therefore, the death that should have come to you under the Old Testament covenant now can go to him and you don't have to suffer it. 
where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in force while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. When was the first time blood was shed for sin? Church? Y'all should know this. Garden of Eden. What was the first time sin happened and an animal had to die? Adam and Eve. Because they were dressed up in itchy old fig leaves. By the way, I never recommend you try that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little kid. I go, ooh, fig leaves. Don't do that. It's very itchy. Okay, just don't do that. God saw that their fig leaves could cover nothing. So God took the life of an animal and wrapped them in the bloody skin of that slain animal. And everyone likes to think it was a lamb. But judging by the size of a full-grown person, I'm thinking it was a bear. You had to have a lot to cover up. God took the life of an innocent animal to cover with blood the sin of Adam and Eve. That was the first sacrifice in the garden because of their sin. If you don't believe me, go check it out. Go read it. Make sure I'm telling you the truth. It says, that is why even the first covenant was inaugurated blood. For when every command has been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people saying this is the blood of the covenant that god has commanded for you in the same way he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood according to the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness y'all need to mark that last one that is why you must have a bloody Easter. If there is no blood, there is no Easter. If there is no blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If Jesus didn't die, there was no perfect sacrifice for the world. Remember John 3, 16? There's those three 16s again. For God so loved the world, every people, every God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. You don't have that without the death of Jesus, without that blood. You can't remove that from Easter and have anything that's effective. Consider this. He talks about this. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. Now, hopefully all of us have a will who have children. We have a will that says where everything goes, and the will tells where, where, where our possessions go and our money, and it goes to our children or spread out among many children. That is a picture of this, but it's not exactly this. Interesting thing is this word will here is also the word covenant, covenant or testament. Now the, the sacrifice they're talking about, this first covenant sacrifice they're talking about, remember God and Abraham were going to make a covenant between them? And the way you made a covenant, I explained this before, is you took an animal and you cut it in half and you laid the halves on the ground and the two parties of the covenant would walk through the midst of that sacrifice, right? That's why it says right here that this covenant was made in the midst of the dead sacrifice. In the middle of that dead animal is where the covenant was made, and it was bound up in the blood of that sacrifice. But only God walked through the sacrifice with Abraham. Abraham was asleep. So God did not make a covenant with Abraham. 
God made a covenant with himself that he would bless the children of Abraham. That's the children of faith. New Testament says not every child of Abraham is a child of Abraham. Just because you're Jewish don't mean, don't mean that you're going to make it. Because it's by faith that we're saved. They say, how did you get saved in the Old Testament? By faith. Well, what about the blood sacrifices and what about this and this? You have to have faith that that's going to happen before you do it. Otherwise, it's a vain, it's a vain sacrifice. Cain had a vain sacrifice. It had no effect. He just gave some. He just put it out there. No faith in what was actually going to happen. If you look at this, our covenant with God, this new covenant, this Easter covenant, is made over the sacrifice of Jesus. And it is sealed by the blood that he shed on that cross. Right? Can we have an Easter without the blood of Jesus? I mean, a lot of churches try it. I've seen churches right now in this area, in the Raleigh area, and they're going to have an Easter celebration of life. Look at these pastors. Look what they're saying. We're going to celebrate God's love. So they're going to do John 3, 16. They're not going to do 17 and 18 because that gets too hairy. I've actually heard pastors say, now you ready for this one? We want to celebrate Easter, but we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about sacrifice. We want to have the story of Jesus, but we want to leave off all that cross stuff. It's too harsh for the children. It, it, it's a bummer. It just takes all the fun out of Easter. If Jesus lived and never went to the cross, would any of us be saved? No. Why? Because the sacrifice necessary for our redemption would not have been paid. It says right here, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Did you guys notice earlier, back up here in verse 19, it said they took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. Did anybody catch those three things? Those are very important if you're Jewish. When any ground has been defiled with blood, the only way to cleanse it is with water and hyssop and the ashes of a, of a red heifer. Hyssop, water, scarlet thread are all used in the purification of a house, in the purification of a home or a temple, synagogue, anything. So when a Jew would read this, remember this was written to Jewish people spread throughout the world. They knew they were talking about ritual purification. Here's the thing. Where's our ritual purification? In Jesus. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but I want you to understand, not every church believes this. Not every church around you teaches this. Not every church this Easter is going to talk about the blood of Jesus. Those of you who are dinosaurs, you can sing it with me. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you know why that song is not sung in many modern churches? It's offensive to talk about blood. It's offensive to talk about sacrifices. It's offensive to talk about dying to ourselves that we might live to Christ. You know, we used to joke in our old church about all the bloody songs. Because if you go through the old hymn book, there's a lot of songs about the blood. You know, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Goodness gracious, graphic. 
pictures, but pictures that remind people that sacrifice was made for what you have today. And Christianity is not about being a good girl. It's not about being a good boy. It's about living the life that was given to us by one who died to make that possible. I can't emphasize enough. We need to remember that Easter is about blood. It's not about chocolate and jelly beans and Easter egg hunts. Those are good things, by the way. I hope that we're going to have an Easter egg hunt out here for the kids. And I hope we do that. But we want to do that just for the fun portion. And then remind them why we really celebrate Easter. Okay, let's wrap this up today. I know this has been kind of a, a, kind of a deep sermon in terms of going back to the same thing over and over again. But I want you to understand, many churches in America are not going to talk about this, this Easter. They're not going to talk about blood because they don't want to scare away new people and new members. Hebrews 9, 23 through 28. Easter requires a perfect sacrifice. That's Jesus. It requires the shedding of blood. That was his blood. Third, Easter requires absolute faith. This goes back to why you're here today. This goes back to why you come to church, why you read your Bible, and why you pray. If you don't do it in absolute faith, you do it in vain. Here it is. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us on our behalf as our mediator. He did not do this to offer himself many times. Remember I told you, many people want to believe in Jesus as long as he is one of many that have come. He didn't do this many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time, one appearance, one salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. At the end of the ages, for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this the judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I should have made the whole sermon just on this one section. Because this is it. This is the answer to finding a true church and true faith in our world today. Look at what he says. These copies of things that were done by the priests, they were only meant as rehearsals to show us what the true Messiah would do. Then the Messiah comes and he gives a better sacrifice himself. The only blood that was worthy to cleanse all of us of our sins. One sacrifice made for all. I was talking to my brother this week about my baby sister. She's a Scientologist. And the Scientologists have a, a big, beautiful picture in some of their um, meeting halls. I've seen it in uh, my brother-in-law's house. And it shows a picture of all the great prophets. And then right in the middle is Jesus, and there's all the prophets that came after him right up to L. Ron Hubbard. See, what they believe is that wisdom has come many times in many faces, in many places, all pointing to the same thing that we're God's. That's what they think. 
And I told you, there are many who say, oh, I, I am just another revelation of Jesus. If you've ever been around uh, the Jamaican community, you will meet people who are Rastafarian. And uh, when I lived in California, you can't go anywhere without meeting a Rastafarian. They're everywhere. Rastafarians believe in Yah. But Yah is not Yahweh. Yah is Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie was the emperor of Ethiopia. Haile Selassie said, <laughs> and they believe, I am Jesus reborn. Now here's the thing. The Lord says in the last days, people will come saying, go over there, he's, he's appeared again. Go over there, he's appeared again. Go over here, it's Jesus again. He says, don't go, because it ain't me. Jesus is going to come back once. And I can tell you where he's going to be. I can't tell you when. But the word of God says he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to go up that hill through the east gate of Jerusalem to the Temple Mount to the rebuilt temple. And there he will take his place as Lord of the world and sit in David's throne over all the world. That's when he's going to come back. It says right here, he's going to come back a second time. But he's not going to come back to make salvation available to everybody. He's going to come back for those who patiently wait for him. Let me ask you, how anxious are you to see Jesus? How excited would you be if you knew that Easter Sunday this year was the day that the rapture would happen? It's the day that the church will be taken out of the world, that those who believe in Jesus will be snatched away, caught away just like uh, Elijah was caught away in that whirlwind, and that we will be before Jesus. How excited would you be? If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have been living for that moment. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love you guys. But that's the day I live for. That's the day I can't wait for. Because that's the day I see my Lord face to face. He's going to snatch me up out of here. I'm going to get the spiritual body of Arnold Schwarzenegger. No wings, but it's okay. That was our discussion last night, you know. So when I get to heaven, I want to look like Arnold, just with straight teeth. It'd be good. That's the day I live for. That's the day I want, because that's who I hunger for, to see my Lord. For many people, they don't really think Jesus is going to come back. They think the world's just going to keep getting better and better and nicer and nicer, and we're all going to wind up in a heavenly paradise on earth. Sorry, that's not what the Bible says. It also says this, it is appointed unto a man once to die, then the judgment. You understand what that means, right? That means between death and what comes after, there's no middle ground. Now, growing up, I was taught you have heaven, you have hell, and you have what in the middle? Purgatory. Sorry, not in the Bible. In fact, I can't find out where they got that one from. But a pope had a vision after eating some chicken, and there it was. Purgatory is not in the word of God. It is appointed unto a man or woman to die one time. You say, aha! But people have had like near-death experiences, and they float up out of their body. Okay, first of all, let's not go there. Because we're not them, we don't know. But here's the thing. If they came back, they wasn't dead. Because once you are dead, dead, dead. That's it. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you are either with the Lord in heaven or you are in hell. And once you are there, you stay. 
How do you know? Because Jesus gave us a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. You say, aha, but pastor, that's only a story. No, it's not. Every time Jesus gave a story story about fictitious things, what did he say? There was a certain man who, or there was a woman who, he never used the names of people unless he was talking about people that everyone knew. Everyone knew Lazarus, the poor man. Everyone knew the rich man who had died, and everyone knew that he was telling the truth. He says, you know, oh, Father Abraham, send somebody back to my five brothers. I don't want them to come to this terrible place. He says, they have Moses, and they have the prophets. And if they don't believe them, they ain't going to believe you, even if you came back from the dead. Guess what? Easter's when Jesus came back from the dead. Not everybody believed him. But we do, amen? amen. We believe, and that's why we're here. That's why you have to have a blood-centered Easter. That's why Easter can't be about candy or chocolate or new dresses or Easter hats. It has to be about Jesus. Dads, granddads, that is your job. Your job is to teach your children and grandchildren about the blood of Jesus. That is your job. Ladies, your job is to back up your husband when he does his job. Amen? And if you say, but my husband's lazy, he's no good, he's ignorant, which your own fault you married him? But secondly, secondly, you cannot nag a man into doing what's right. However, ladies, listen to me, your nagging does nothing. However, a woman of prayer is a dangerous thing. You can't nag a man to do the right thing, but you can sure pray him into glory. <laughs> you can pray him into action. Your man not doing what he should do, pray for him. Constantly, incessantly. Pray that God will put it on his heart to do what's right. And then he'll do it. Then he'll step up to the cause. Because right here, Jesus has appeared one time to, to, to die. The, our sins might be forgiven. When he comes back, he's coming back for those who are ready, willing, able to go with him through the blood of Jesus. Amen? So there's no continuing coming. There's no ongoing prophecy. We're not looking for the next Messiah like some people are. We know who we believe in. So my question becomes, what's at the center of your Easter? Now this one's just for you. Don't say it, but be honest. What is at the center of your Easter celebration? Is your Easter hollow like a bunny rabbit? Is it all about, is it about candy and new clothes, egg hunts, something for the kids? Is that what your Easter is about? Be honest. Many people, that's all Easter is about. I'm sorry, many church people, that's all Easter is about, right there. Because they don't want to deal with the blood and the cross and Jesus. And you know what? It's scary stuff. But second, does your Easter focus on the one who shed his blood to redeem you? Or is it about the Cadbury, uh, the Cadbury bunny who clucks and lays little chocolate eggs? I love the Cadbury bunny. I love that commercial. I'm not knocking it. It's good marketing. I'm just saying that's not, that's not Easter. It's not about that stuff. Because finally, has your faith in the Redeemer of Easter caused you to change your life because of what you say you believe? That last one should be your question today. Has my life changed? That's the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my husband, the way I treat my children, the way I interact with my neighbors.
Has your life changed because you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Remember, on the night of the Passover, they had to stay inside with the door closed. They had to eat their lamb in haste. No leaven for the bread. They had to do things quickly. I mean, a man had to paint blood on the doorpost of his house. Guess what? If the death angel didn't come, he was going to be after the next day scrubbing that stuff off because his wife wasn't going to do it. They had to go out on the, on the limb to be ready for the Passover. You have to be willing to go out on a limb to be ready for Easter. You've got to be willing to say to your co-worker, you know what? I think it's sad that we have forgotten what Easter's about. Isn't that true? You know, I, I know, I remember used to when I was a kid, they made these hollow chocolate eggs. Remember those way back? It was a chocolate egg and it was decorated with lots of little poofy stuff. But when you looked in it, there was a little hole in the top that put light down and right in the center of the chocolate egg was a cross and behind it was a little hollow tomb. It was a way to teach kids about Jesus. I mean, they could eat the egg later, of course, you know. But it, there was a tomb, there was a cross, and there was a little hole in the top of the egg where the light came in. It was decorated beautifully. And there was, the parents would show them the egg and the, the, how pretty it was. Then they turned and now look inside. That's the heart of Easter. The heart of Easter isn't chocolate. It's the cross and the empty tomb. Let's make sure this year that we prepare our kids spiritually for what Easter is really about. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. God, I praise you that you have given us a celebration that, Lord, the world doesn't embrace. Father, the world may want to get rid of the blood of Jesus. They may want to get rid of the sacrifice. They may want to get rid of the horror of what happened. But God, we know that we have to recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made. We have to be willing to accept that blood applied to our lives. We have to be willing, Lord, to say that it was a terrible, terrible time. But God, that day, that resurrection has changed our lives. We are different people because of the sacrifice made for us, because of the blood applied to our lives. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today, if there's any person here right now, Lord, that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if there's any person here right now who has never trusted in him they've never repented of their sins they've never asked for forgiveness they've never asked that the blood be applied to their lives father i pray that that seeing from your word how everything everything was about the blood of jesus over the blood of animals the sacrifice of the perfect high priest not not the sacrifice of one who went through a vain ritual in front of an empty room but god that we know that what we do today has eternal consequences Father, I pray you prepare us for Easter, prepare our minds, help us to begin to shift our focus away from the world, away from the other things, the Easter sales in the stores and, and all the stuff that they want to sell us about Easter, but God, just to focus on what we have revealed in your word, the true meaning of, of, of Easter, and that's Jesus. Father, as we sing now, as we praise you, as we give you glory, Father, receive the praise of your people. Fill us with your love and your strength. Fill us, Father, with our desire to share with others this life-changing event. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand up and sing one last song.